Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. One of the things I always say is a huge risk in this investment game is the execution of the business plan. You can do everything I just said, buy it at the right price in a great sub-market with a great business plan, but if you can't execute, you can really screw up an investment. It's that time of year again, tax season. How are you doing on tax season? How's that treating you so far? Well, if you have a lot of receipts and you're organizing things like your income and expenses and creating reports, and you're also trying to keep up to date with the new tax reform this year, there's a lot of deductions that we can take to maximize return. And there's a lot of strategies that we need to make sure we're aware of. Are you optimizing for the new tax laws? Well, our sponsor, Stessa, teamed up with the top real estate CPAs to offer you the ultimate rental property tax guide. And I've read it. This is the ultimate rental property tax guide. I'm talking about they've got everything covered from opportunity zones to entity selection to establishing a home office, travel expenses, what type of travel expenses are deductible, real estate strategies, tax strategies, capital improvements versus repairs. I mean, this is the ultimate rental property tax guide, and you can get it for free by going to stessa.com forward slash best taxes. You have to sign up for an account, but the account is free. So when you sign up for a free Stessa account, you will get this guide. This is worth its weight in gold for sure. Go to stessa.com, S-T-E-S-S-A.com forward slash best taxes. And when you work with Stessa, Stessa is a tool that helps every rental property owner track, manage, and communicate the performance of our real estate investment. So it's going to save a lot of time during tax season, but then also through the rest of the season as we go and grow our rental portfolio and optimize that. So go to stessa.com forward slash best taxes get that ultimate rental property tax guide best ever listeners how you doing welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show i'm joe fairless this is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast we only talk about the best advice ever we don't get into any of that fluffy stuff and well we got a special segment for you today it is a case study conversation on a 200 plus unit apartment community that my business partner and I and our team and our investors worked on and completed. So anytime we close a deal, I am going to attempt to have a conversation with Frank and we're going to have a case study conversation with you all so that you can learn the lessons that we learned 
And ultimately, this is about helping you out and identifying things that we came across along the way, some challenges and successes, and also things that didn't go according to plan and how they were overcome. And ultimately, so that when you're doing deals, you have a a guide to help you when and if you come across similar situations. So first off, Frank, how you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. How are you? I am doing very well as well. I've interviewed you on this podcast, right? Yep. Yep. We definitely did. All right. So I've already interviewed you. We're not even going to go into your background because we're going to be doing multiple case study episodes when we close deals. So we don't want to have to have you go through background every time. Let's get right into it. So the deal that we're talking about today was formerly called Timber Lodge. And you and I and our investors referred to it as 11600. Tell us about the business plan. Tell us about the deal. Yeah, sure. I was thinking a little bit before this call about things that went right. It resulted in a very, very good return for our investors. And there's a number of things that went right. The business plan is definitely one of them. I thought I might start off kind of before the business plan with just kind of like the submarket and the purchase. Is that all right? To yeah, please. Do that and then go into the business plan. So starting off in the beginning, we bought this deal. We bought it right. We bought this deal off market. I think that added a lot of value because we avoided a bidding war. We got it at a price that we felt was very attractive at the time. One of the things that went in our direction was that the seller was a group that we had purchased from in the past, a group called Bridge IGP, Bridge Investment Group. We bought Wood Glen Village from them. And what always helps when you buy from a buyer is if you can to close and close well without retrading, without being a challenging buyer. And while maybe retrading might get you a lower price on that one deal, if you don't need to retrade, and you just close and you've maintained your reputation, it can lead to opportunities like this where that same seller presents you with another deal. And that's just what wound up happening here. So always recommend, if you can, to have a very smooth due diligence in closing when you buy. So we bought this deal off market at a great price, avoided a bidding war, bought from a group that we transacted with in the past. Are we able to say how much we bought it for? There's a confidentiality agreement when okay. you sell most deals that prohibits you from doing that. So unfortunately, we cannot publicly state what price we bought it for or what price we sold it for, but we can definitely talk about the returns to investors. Yep. So anyway, we also didn't just buy Timber Lodge because the seller offered it to us. As you know, we did a very, very robust research project on all the submarkets in Dallas and just looked at okay, well, we know where the desirable markets are. We all know where Highland Park is and Preston Hollow, things like that. But I mean, what are the markets that are actually in growth mode? Just because it's desirable doesn't mean things are growing or headed in the right direction. And we found that the North Lake Highlands area, Flash Richardson, was a challenging market for the previous 10 years, but that it was really, really turning around. The community was investing significant dollars into that sub-market. Other owners like us had bought apartment communities and were renovating, therefore improving the demographics. And the databases didn't lie. They told us there was huge rent growth, a very strong vacancy, I should say. So that was one of the reasons that led us here. And then by great coincidence, this deal that came across our desk was being sold from a group that we bought from before. So I just want to make that point that 
yeah, we bought at a great price, but we also bought in a great sub-market. So we had a lot of wind behind our sales just going into this property. A couple follow-up questions on that. When you say we bought off-market, we went through a broker, but it wasn't publicly marketed, correct? Yeah, that's a great question, Joe. And yes, that's exactly what happened. Transwestern brought us this deal from Bridge. So it worked well that we had bought from them in the past, helped to convince them that we're going to close and not screw them over. Pardon my French. (laughs) But um, then the broker did a great job of convincing the seller that for whatever reason, this was a good offer and that it made sense to just sell directly to us rather than going through the hassle of going through a bidding war. So we owe a lot to the broker we used. And just generally, when a broker does not have a listing fully marketed, but they're representing their client and it's considered off market, but there's broker representation, how often is that broker sending it out to a whole bunch of other people, just not officially. So it's pretty close to being on market since they're already sending it out to a whole bunch of people. It's so case by case, but everything you just said could happen. It could be the case that a lot of brokers, when they get a property in, they don't want to market this thing for the next two months and do 50 property tours. So it would be great for them to just sell it to a buyer directly. And sometimes that's the way things go is they kind of quietly email the financials around to the most common buyers in a market, see if they can just get it done there. And if they can't, meaning those prices don't meet with what the seller wants, then they go through the process of fully marking the deal and launching it out. I know on this property, this happened very, very quickly. So we were dealing with a broker, Taylor Snowdy, who we dealt with many times in the past. And he's always done a good job from our perspective. We never know what's going on fully behind the scenes of really just sending us the first look at a deal. And it's an exclusive but short look for us to see if we like this price, this price makes sense for us. And if so, okay, make an offer or start negotiating a purchase and sale contract. He doesn't say, hey, I've got this out to five other groups. So that, that was the case with this one was that it came to us, just us. We came to an agreement on price and we moved forward. So it, it worked well on this deal. Initial price that Taylor presented, was that the transaction price? No, it wasn't, but it wasn't far off either. I think we were just a few hundred thousand dollars below the price that he brought it to us for. So off-market and sub-market strength going into the deal. So we were set up for success. And what was the business plan? The business plan was ideal for us. We try to look for low risk deals with value add. So what we try to do is find an apartment that is under market. Its units are outdated, but it has almost all, if not all units unrenovated. And we can see comps, which were, but then we're buying from a great seller, hopefully that has taken great care of the property. So we're buying a property with good bones that we don't need to invest funds into deferred maintenance, like replacing roofs or repainting the property, things that don't really drive net operating income, but that you have to do every five or 10 years or so. And that was the case with this deal. That's why we liked it so much. Bridge had taken excellent care of the property. It was very, very well maintained. And that they have a business plan where they try to buy very, very troubled assets, stabilize, maintain, 
and then sell with full value add. That is indeed what happened here. They bought this deal when it was at a very, very low occupancy. It had a, a tough demographic on it. So they stabilized it and they did a good job of that. And they replaced the roofs. They renovated the clubhouse, did a really good job on that. So when we bought it, it was served to us on a platter, so to speak, of having no units having been renovated. Yet the market, as I said, was in growth mode and several comps were fully renovated and they were achieving rents 20 to 30% higher than what this property was achieving as well. So it's everything that you look for in a value-add deal. And that's what wound up happening. We wound up buying the property and just slowly implementing that business plan. If you've listened to our calls, one of the things I always say is a huge risk in this investment game is the execution of the business plan. You can do everything I just said, buy it at the right price in a great sub-market with a great business plan. But if you can't execute, you can really screw up an investment. So I'll get into lessons learned, Joe, if that's okay. So one would be, we took on a very complicated, heavy lifting value add project in Timber Lodge. We wanted to further improve the demographic. We wanted to rebrand this property. So get rid of all the brand recognition, start anew. We wanted to add revenue generating projects like carports. Then we wanted to renovate every single unit and we wanted them to look nice. We didn't want to tank occupancy but we wanted to keep going on renovations whenever someone moved out. So we wanted high occupancy. We elected to put granite in a 1980s asset when no one else in the market was doing that. And we put in those carports. So we didn't have a city gate at the time that we acquired this company, this property, I should say. A property management partner. Yes. Thank you. So we were out interviewing groups. We knew we wanted to go with a small yet sophisticated property management group because we wanted our business to be important to them. But we interviewed four different groups. CityGate was actually managing one of the comps that we said, if we can do that on this property, we're going to do really well. So that was in their favor. And ultimately, we were impressed by their proposal. We happened to like that group a lot. And we said, okay, let's go. But that's probably a gamble. I wouldn't recommend doing such a heavy value add project with a property management company that you're not too familiar with yet. And that's what we did. And we wound up getting lucky here. I think we did a good job of interviewing, but still it was an unproven group to us. And this is a big, heavy renovation project, rebranding project, repositioning. So if they would not have been able to execute as well as they did, we would have had to have replaced them. We could have been in a lot of trouble on this deal, and we were fortunate that they performed and performed well. But I look back at that, and I do think we did things right, but I do think we got fortunate. And I might, if someone else was looking at a property and they didn't have a group set up yet, third party, I'd recommend maybe going with a large, large property management group. While they might not care about your business so much, they're probably not going to do a very bad job, or alternatively maybe start with a property that doesn't require so much attention, renovation, operationally, as well as CapEx, an easier project that hopefully a group can get in and do a good job on no matter what. So anyway, maybe one of those two directions. Yeah, that's very helpful. I remember, so 
you and I invested in this deal, obviously, like we do all of our deals. But then also for this deal, we have one investor. He invested with us a couple times and more than a couple leading up to that. And then he said, hey, I want to be the only limited partner on a deal. Will you go find me something to partner with you guys on? So we ran this scenario by him and he was fine partnering up with this group, that CityGate, who we now have our portfolio with. And they are a third-party management company. So there was just really one person to have that conversation with versus us mentioning it to a network of investors, which is different because it's just a different conversation and you don't have to have a lot of people being on board with it. You just need to have one person who's bringing the equity. But I love that lesson because even thinking about it from, okay, how do I pick a property management company regardless of if it's heavy value add or medium value add? Well, how about looking at the comps and if they're managed by a third party? And as you said, if you're thinking, if we can do that, then we'll do real well with this property and simply interviewing the managers for those comps. Yep. And that's exactly how things worked out. We got recommendations in from Taylor, our broker, and some other guys about what third party to go with. And then when I was shopping the comps, I saw CityGate's name on the door. And that's actually how they came to us. And they were just included in the process. So it worked out really, really well. I think you said two lessons. Was that the first one? That's the first one. Now, the second one, putting in granite and spending almost 7000 a unit on a 1980s property. This is, again, a case-by-case issue, and sometimes that makes sense. This happened to be the fifth project that we had done. And we looked at these units, and we said, let's do granite. Let's do stainless steel. Let's make it look beautiful. We replaced the vanities in the bathrooms, all the lights, floors, you name it. We made these units shine and sparkle. And I do love that we did that. And it showed that we're capable of doing something like that. And we got great rents. I think we would have gotten just a little lower rents by spending a lot less. I think we didn't need to go to that level with this demographic. And we could have gotten away just resurfacing the counters, even just maybe black appliances. The list from where the units were beforehand, completely unrenovated with white appliances that were like 10 years old, carpets that had just been washed for five straight years, vintage lighting in there. From where it was to where we took it, I think we didn't need to take it that far. And we could have gotten a higher ROI by maybe only spending 4500 a unit. So I think that was the lesson learned of don't under-renovate, but renovate to the appropriate level for the demographic. And so now we found that if we do scale back and do the latter of what I said, which we've done on several properties in the submarket since, like Estancia and Belterra, you're still going to get a very, very strong rent bump and therefore ROI, but you don't necessarily need to do that big of a project and spend that much money. So I'd say that was also a lesson learned for us on this property too. For future properties and future acquisitions, what aspects of the subject property and the comps do you look at in order to determine, okay, granite countertop, stainless steel versus resurfacing and black appliances or something in between? Yeah, it depends on two things which go hand in hand. One, what are the comps doing? Are you going to be 
the nicest property on the block. You probably don't want to be there. And then two, what is the income level of the demographic at that property and at the comps? Are you buying a property that has primarily workforce housing that while they do want a nicer unit, maybe can't necessarily afford a $200 premium, but could afford a $100 premium? I'm just picking those numbers out arbitrarily, but saying pay attention to the average household income of your residents as well as the demographic around. Or are you on a property that maybe because it's built in the year 2000, it's more of a core plus asset and it has a white collar demographic to it with people earning average household incomes of 85,000 or greater. And then typically on deals like that and that comes around it, you will see a higher quality of finish that often includes granite and stainless steel appliances, undermount sinks, et cetera. So in order to really determine if you can get that return on investment that I just described, you really need to take a look at the market, take a look at the comps and take a look at the demographics of your property. Business plan was five years. We sold in less than half than that. What were the results of this project? So we did an outstanding job on not only executing the business plan, we renovated approximately 60% of the asset. So we left a lot of meat left on the bone. We bought at the right time. We sold at the right time. We actually sold this property at 50% greater than what we bought it for, which is incredible to do. And on top of that, we sold in 18 months. So what happened with this asset, as you mentioned, it was a five-year hold. We sold in less than two years. We got an outstanding offer on the property. And like you said, we only had one equity partner. We have a fiduciary responsibility to bring any offers that come our way to our equity partner. That's what we did. He certainly liked the price. The price more than doubled the equity invested into this property in less than two years. We actually pushed them a little bit more on price. We made them go non-refundable from day one so that we didn't waste anyone's time here and have them retrade or back out of the deal later. And they agreed to the terms that we had them change. And it resulted in a fantastic investment in a very short period of time. The 50% greater than what we bought it for, how much of that was cap rate compression versus NOI growth? It's definitely both. Our NOI increased 20% over 18 months. So that's incredible right there. And that's a direct result of us, our ability to execute in our business plan. But on top of that, there absolutely was cap rate compression instead of expansion. We bought this deal at what I believe was around a 5.8 cap and sold at a 5.2 cap. So if we would have done nothing, we would have made money. But if we would have done nothing, maybe we also, it wouldn't have been an impressive return and we just wouldn't have sold. We just would have held. It was the result of both good timing and good business plan. Anything else you think we should talk about as it relates to this deal? I took notes before this. We went through everything that I wanted to discuss just we bought at the right time, but we did a lot of research as well in the submarket. We bought from a good group that we transacted with before, and it was helpful because we preserved our reputation by closing and closing at the right price. And then we had an appropriate business plan for the investment, and that's what resulted in such a great return for us in this one. And then the lessons learned, one, the lesson on picking the right team to do this type of project 
and also perhaps not have this be a project that if you're starting out or if you're doing large apartment communities, then this type of renovation overhaul probably isn't the best first one for you to do. But certainly there's a lot of value that you can add to it and it can be profitable. And two is knowing how to renovate to the appropriate levels based on the demographic. And as you mentioned, the two things to look at is one, what are the comps doing? And then two, what's the income level of the demographic? Frank, thanks so much for being on the show. Great hanging out with you. I'm confident this is valuable, especially for multifamily investors who listen to the show, which probably makes up a vast majority of the audience. I hope you have the best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. And best ever listeners, you can go to ashcroftcapital.com and read Frank's bio. I skipped over it, but you can check that out and then see what we got going on over there too. Stessa is the essential tool for tracking your rental properties, and it's going to save you a tremendous amount of time during tax season. Stessa organizes all of your rental property financials and automatically creates all the reports you need to file your tax return. And Stessa teamed up with the top real estate CPAs to offer you, best ever listeners, the ultimate rental property tax guide to help you maximize your deductions. Get that copy when you sign up for an account. The account's free. So get the copy by going to stessa.com forward slash best taxes. That's S-T-E-S-S-A dot com forward slash best taxes. Have you heard about the latest podcast for entrepreneurs called Tough Decisions? Listen to Dan and Danae Hanford as they interview successful people from around the world about tough decisions as entrepreneurs. Visit toughdecisions.net and be sure to subscribe to their free weekly entrepreneurial email. That's toughdecisions.net.